Welcome to the Untoxicated Podcast. <laughs> well, I'm Sherry Salis, and that was my husband, Matt. We have questions about the impact of alcohol and addiction on relationships. If you have those kinds of questions, too, you're in the right place. Here we go. One week from today, Sherry, on Monday, August 1st, that's when Intoxicated Podcast episode 150 drops. Ooh, big deal. That's exciting. For not only is it big because it's 150 and that's a bit of a milestone, that's or it's at least halfway to the next big milestone, but it's also big because it's not just you and me. It's not just us and a, a guest. It's us and 12 guests. It's us and 12, the 12 participants in our first ever Echoes of Recovery retreat. Now, the... Last two podcasts, we have promoted that episode. We've promoted episode 150 with the the our friends from Echoes of Recovery. But we recorded that promotion before we had actually done, done the podcast. The podcast. Yes. Now we've done it. Mm-hmm. We were there. We were in the foothills of the Rocky Mountains with these wonderful, wonderful people in Echoes of Recovery. And I got to tell you... The episode's fantastic. Mm-hmm. I listened to it on a run the other day, and you know, obviously, I listened to it live when we were all there. But there was a lot going on yeah. when we were all there. People were quiet, quietly handing Kleenex boxes to each other. Yes. At one point, there was a Kleenex box that was like housed inside of a, a log. It was like <laughs> a decorative thing. Somehow, that got on the table in front of us without making a sound. So, and then people so, are stealthy in that group because we've had to be. Because we didn't want to wake the sleeping drunk, so there are a lot of stealth movers in that. It group. was impressive. One of one of the people that was there had had gotten a sunburn on a hike the day before, that was bad enough that that she was actually icing her hand. It had swollen, mm-hmm. and the ice started dripping, and so we could hear little drips, and the microphone was picking that up. And she she stealthily got her ice taken care of. Nobody, you know, made any big sounds. So yeah. Pretty impressive, but the the episode itself it's really remarkable. It's it's one of, if not the best one we've ever done. Having all those people in the room and sharing their experiences was yeah pretty phenomenal. Because we had done a call with a group of people, but yes. it was all via Zoom. Yeah, so that was very tedious. I would say we all yeah. had to be a little more patient. This there could be a little more conversation, and it doesn't sound messy. Yeah. And so. you could see who you could see when somebody really wanted to say something, and everyone in the room could see that. So they were clearly going to be the next one yeah. to speak. You could see the bifacial expression when somebody had something big to add. Can't do that as well over Zoom. Zoom's clunky. Zoom's, you know, not a terrible alternative when we don't when we aren't in the same place. But this one is cool because we were in the same place. Yeah. So a lot of good energy. That listeners I strongly, through. yeah, strongly, strongly recommend. That you check out episode 150 that's releasing on Monday, August 1st. Sherry, the solution to pollution is dilution. Have you ever heard that before? Um, I'm sure I heard it like in the 70s when it, because it makes no freaking sense. <laughs> if you pollute something, the water, and you just feed it out into the ocean, it's still polluting. So I probably, you know, I am the owner of three Smokey the Bear shirts. And Smokey the Bear earrings. So I probably was a little skeptical of that PSA that went around. But, you know. PSA from PAS. Yeah. (laughs) That's one of my dad's favorite sayings. I thought your dad's favorite saying was better living through chemistry 
That's the other one. Or other here's favorite. the other one. You could tell, like your father has a lot. Moderation is the key. To everything, everything in moderation. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, th- there's probably some value in that, but the the yeah, you can tell that you can probably. I'm wondering if any of our listeners can guess what my dad's career was. He was a chemical engineer. <laughs> so both of those those two better Corn living through chemistry. Waterways in their area and the smoke. <laughs> well, you and I were the processed food babies, right? Yeah, so yeah. my our parents' generation wasn't as anti big food companies as our generation is now that we've got some data back mm. and the obesity rate has gone through the roof among and other we've got our own health issues that we're dealing with from all issues. that. Yeah. Crap. Absolutely. But so the better living through chemistry mantra, that was one that always kinda Twisted me sideways a little bit. The the solution to pollution is dilution. Obviously, that's not the solution to all pollution. But, like, there are some practical applications to that. Like, like if you need to drink water. And yeah, you... if, you've, if you've ingested something and... And sometimes yeah. the rec- sometimes the regulation is yeah. so that get I out, get it, right? Like, that's an internal... Drowned like, with water, yeah. yeah. Yeah, or flushing your eyes out. Or if you've... You know, if you've got paint that you spilled on your deck, say, you can get yeah. the hose out and brush that off. And technically... No, you can't. Well, if you spilled um, it right away and it's well, water-soluble. Okay. Technically, that's dilution um, spraying off your deck. But but there's a lot of those mantras out there. What, what kind of uh, little sayings and slogans did you grow up with? Well, the only thing that really pops into my head is that there were just a lot of snippets from the bible yes because uh but so that wouldn't count but i guess one that and maybe that's just something that i heard my mom say once and i clung on to it because i live by it but if you want something done right do it yourself oh one of the most popular mantras of all time and then she did have a kitchen plaque and i'm sure there are a lot of people that are our age in that late 40s early 50s whose parents may have had this the hurrier i go the behinder i get oh and never I that. never really understood that until I, I think maybe about when I was 40, when I was like, if I'm doing too much or I'm trying to go too fast, I'm going to mess up. Yeah, nothing gets done right. Nothing gets done right. You cause messes. And you'd think that I would have learned that like in cooking school. Yeah. You know, you can't like be doing too much stuff and you can't go too fast. You're going to screw it up. Yeah. I think that it has something to do with the aging brain. Well, I've never, not heard that one. Obviously, everyone has heard if you want something done right. Better do it yourself. And that's not surprising that the single mom, you know, having already divorced an alcoholic, that that would be something that would be on the tip of their tongue. It makes a lot yeah. of sense. One of my other favorites is, if you're not first, you're last. Who's that, that Sherry? Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby. not at all what his dad said. Talladega Nights, <laughs> one of the all-time greatest nice. movies. What is his dad's reaction is the best? Well, that's what his dad really said, but his dad was drunk at the time, so he doesn't remember that that's what he said. Yeah, but I think we just watched it. His dad is like, what the hell is that supposed to mean? Yeah. There's second, there's third, there's fourth. I think that's... He was too drunk to remember he said it. But I also think that's a childhood interpretation of of what he thought he heard his dad say. But maybe we'll have... Oh, gosh, maybe we'll have to watch Talladega Nights and, like, look for that scene. I do love me some Talladega Nights. That's a good... You know, one of our kids doesn't like Will Ferrell. That's just nuts. 
I think we watched Elf way too many times and made him watch too much Saturday yeah. Night Live skits that had a Will Ferrell. Maybe that's perhaps. why. It's amazing how he's willing been saturated. He's we should saturated. He's feral. We should saturated. dilute him. Dilute the, the pollution of Will dilute Ferrell. Dilute the feral pollution. <laughs> Good idea. I don't know what you do. You do that with with like Robin Williams and uh, yeah. Give him give him a little. Uh, Maybe just watch him make. One Will Ferrell movie, like, every six months. Well, Kevin Hart will dilute it. Some Jim Gaffigan. Yeah. Too much Will Ferrell. Okay. It's amazing to me, Sherry, how willing we are to embrace mantras, whether it's the ones we've just spoken about or, or others. It, I think mantras, little sayings, slogans, they're both comforting and dangerous. But where they've gotten me in trouble in my life... I feel like they give us unlimited permission. You know, like if you really embrace a mantra like like Ricky Bobby did, if you ain't first, you're last, then he spends his whole life not willing to be anything but first. Um, it's like it gives you permission for bad behavior, mm-hmm. for, you know, targeting a goal that's not necessarily healthy or helpful to the rest of your family. It just gives you kind of unlimited per- permission. Oh, I'm and there's, thinking, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I was thinking of one that's still a little bit kind of in the uh, <coughs> racing theme, that that one that kind of irritates me. What is it? And I don't I don't feel, I don't want to be a basher, but stay in your own lane. Oh. I mean, you can't just live by that. Sometimes yeah. you've got to go into somebody's lane. Maybe you need to knock them off the road to get their attention. But that's one that I'm like, ooh. Well, but see. Somebody could be too into themselves and come across as being like selfish and unhelpful and you know not paying attention to a person they care about not surprisingly sherry you have a mature and reasonable relationship with mantras and sayings you see stay in your own lane as something that's helpful but you can't do it all the time and you might have to consider some alternative i'm not that guy i take a mantra and i embrace it and then it is law and I'm going, you know, going to the mat over that. So not surprising that you have a more re- responsible and mature attitude when it comes to the sayings that you hear and you just don't glom on to something and it becomes your new religion. Yeah. So pretty impressive. Yeah. Not surprising. You know, one of the other problems with the mantras that are out there is that, the, you know, they really are an oversimplification, right? If we're having a little chant or a little saying and it's related to something we're trying to fix in our lives, which it almost always is, or some excuse we're trying to make for some behavior in our lives, it's it's almost always going to be an oversimplification, doesn't cover all the possible scenarios, and we just, if you, people like me anyway, glom onto it and, and you know, ride it to the end of the earth. Like, and there's I'll a lot of frustration. All... Yeah, there's a couple of them that you used to use when you were younger. Oh, we're going to get to those. Oh, okay. The ones right. that I used as a drinker. As a drinker. Oh, we're going to get... But first, let's talk about the... Just in case we're losing anyone who's like, what mantras are they talking about? There's some really, 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 really popular ones in the recovery community. The the first one, the first one that comes to mind is Alcoholics Anonymous saying, it works if you work it. That one causes me a great deal of frustration. I, I know that AA has helped literally millions of people. It has... It doesn't have a very good success rate, but it has the best overall success because of the number of people that have been in the program. It has saved more lives than any other thing in the recovery community. 
So I'm not here to bash AA, but the this idea, it's really arrogant that if you just do the program, no matter, forget about your other life circumstances, if you do the program and you work hard at it, then it'll cure your alcoholism. I, I don't think that's right. I've met too many people for whom Alcoholics Anonymous was not a good fit, myself included, to buy into this, it works if you work it. And I think when people say that, that that's, I mean, sure, I get kind of mouthy about AA sometimes, but AA people get kind of mouthy too, and one of the leading ways they get mouthy is when they say things like, it works if you work it, expecting the rest of the world to just say, oh yeah, okay, my problem wasn't that I didn't relate to the 12 steps. I didn't have a spiritual problem. Um, I had a different belief system. That wasn't my problem. My problem was I just didn't work hard enough. Yeah. It's insulting. It is because I, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Maybe yeah. it's a multitude of programs. Maybe it's a you know an exercise and nutrition plan along with therapy outside of that. Maybe it's not going to church at all. You know, Maybe getting too hung up on that because there is a lot of shame. And guilt related around religion. So sometimes that can make it even feel worse, like to know that you have this spiritual deficiency and that here you are already having this alcohol issue. Then add that on top of it. And if you don't really believe in your heart, you can't force yourself to believe in something like that. That's exactly right. Let's look at the other side of the fence. Al Anon has a really well known saying or mantra. This one, though. I kind, you know, I like it. Honestly, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of truth to it, especially when someone has spent a great deal of time, kind of, you know, overfunctioning a nurturer that's living hard in their nurturing role and trying to help their loved one cure right. their alcoholism. The three C's of Al-Anon are: you didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't fix it. Cure it, because that would not be a C. Well, can't. Oh. But I think you're probably right. I think I. <laughs> Oh. I even looked it up. Jesus. I still wrote it down. Wrong. So wait, you didn't cause it, you can't control cause, it, and control, you can't cure it? Cure, yes. Oh. That's the three C's, not the three can'ts. The two the C's, C's and an F? God, I'm an idiot. Yeah, okay, so you didn't cause it, you can't control it, and you can't cure it. Yeah. Which is true. If you are the loved one of an alcoholic, your only hope is to do your own work, to get your own recovery going, to find your own peace, to work on things like boundaries and resentment processing and and detachment. But one thing you can't do is fix the mess that's on the uh, the other side. I just pointed that way. Sorry. Oh. That's where the other side is. Okay. Yeah, you can't can't. Because uh, I mean, and I think it's a good I think it's a good mantra to remember when you're in the moment because then you can also look at the past and say, I've tried to control it. I've tried to cure it. I've, you know, and I didn't cause this. They can say all they want about how the drinking is my fault, but I did not do that. They're the ones that's picking it up and cure and trying to resolve their own pain. It wasn't me. Yeah. It can't be the whole reason. So I think that is a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Um, Just a couple other of the really, really popular, well-known mantras in the recovery community. This next one's an acronym. You see this on a lot of like social media posts. Um, TLDR. One day at a time. <laughs> TLDR is on everything I write. That's what I get back from you. you get... <laughs> Not Just everything. Te- I get text messages. I get TLDR from you. 
Okay, I'm sorry. One day at a time. One day at a time. Um, again, certainly don't want to be a AA basher here. For some people, one day at a time is great. It really is. I know a lot of people that for whom permanent sobriety is just too big of a concept. And they, they just aren't comfortable going there. And taking it one day at a time is a very valid and healthful solution for a lot of people. But there are people on, you know, there are different strokes for different folks. There's a mantra, right? Yeah. But um, there are people for whom one day at a time is a terrible way to go. I'm one of them. I just want to make the decision to move on. Because you're an abstainer. You're not a moderator. That whole Re- Gretchen Rubin concept that I've listened to before is there's an abstainer, moderator. Abstaining, just staying away, saying no forever. Yeah. Sugar, alcohol, cigarettes, you know, whatever it is. Oh, yeah. You just stay away because it's easier to say no forever than it is to try to control and moderate it. There's definitely got to be some personality. Um, I don't know. D- different personalities. Different personalities right. that would yeah. prerequisite, like an, an addict versus, you know. But the one day at a time, I think, like you said, can be very helpful for some. And maybe it's even just a little phase in life. Maybe it's just a really challenging hard week that they just have to say one day at a time, but they know the end goal is forever. But maybe it's just working through that. I mean, I I think like, you know, or even just in like silly things like diets or getting through post-operation, you know, post-op and surgery. It's just one day at a time. I'm going to have this pain for just a couple days and then I'm going to get over it. So, I mean, there is a long haul about it, but I think kind of being blindsided and just doing one day at a time would be a little bit challenging because I think it would be hard to kind of then plan your life a little bit and for your your partner. Sorry. You you know, you're fine. You made the point and I think you're right. I think a lot of people, even if they know in the back of their mind that, you know, anyone who's successful in sobriety knows in the back of their mind that they're they're not going to go back to drinking, that that's not an option for them. But taking it one day at a time is soothing and comforting. For a lot of people, totally get that. For other people like me, that's terrifying. I just want to make the decision and do what it takes to solidify it. So that's there's definitely a mixed bag there with that one. But it's, it is, I will say to me, it is annoyingly prevalent. You know, you hear it so much that you're like, oh my God, um, that's a lot. But it helps people, so that's good. Let go and let God, that's probably one of the more controversial mantras in the recovery community. There is a lot of um, strength and comfort to be found in that in that saying. Me as a believer in God, um, I believe that God plays a major role in my daily activities and in what direction I go. I, you know, another one is um, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I think that's both funny and probably largely accurate. So um, I, I am a believer that God has a lot to do with, you know, what's going on. But there are a lot of people in the recovery community who are not believers. And so this is just rubbing salt in their wound to hear something like that. There are also a lot of people in the recovery community who are believers, but that worked really hard on their sobriety and, and you know, another legitimate valid belief is God doesn't get down in the weeds like that necessarily. God doesn't decide whether I drink beer or not. God's got bigger stuff to deal with. So 
I've got to take control of my own, you know, decisions and in my own recovery. So a lot of controversy around around that particular one. Yeah. And that I mean, just in the religious community, everybody is every segment of religion has their own belief system too right. about that predestination. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. all that sort of stuff. So there is a lot to be said for that, especially if that predestination isn't something that you were comfortable with. But there is that letting go and letting God, like sending to the higher power, you know. But you got to make I, that makes me think of one one of the Bible sayings that my Picture? grandmother, yes, oh, your mom or grandma, my grandma. So. Well, what is it? You can't leave it hanging. Well, now I can't remember. It. Oh, it makes you think of one. It that made you me can't think remember. of one, but I can't like get all the Come words. Come on, Sherry, together. if you're not first, you're last. Uh, I'll think of it. Sure, I'll interrupt you later on. Double so, barrel first place from across the across I'll the way. Let you, I'll interrupt you later on. Please do. You know, one of the uh, really popular mantras these days, if you're at all interested in personal growth, self-help, if you're anywhere in that community, you've you've almost undoubtedly seen this uh, Maya Angelou quote: "When you know better, do better." I like that one. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about a few that I like and see if you like them. Do you like that one? I do because I feel like, especially right now, culturally and societally, like we are learning so much from the past, and I don't think we need to beat ourselves up because of what our ancestors done. But let's just move forward and do better. And that that is something that is in a relationship, you know. Oh well. I shouldn't just assume that my spouse is going to pick up the dry cleaning. I should ask. Now that I know that, I will ask and do better. You know, it could go all the way down to those little simple things to like really large things. So I do like that. Glomming on to that mantra is a huge, huge part of the success that you and I are finding in our relationship getting better because it allows us both to say, okay, alcoholism was a part of our lives. It was bad. Bad things happened. But now we know better. And, you know, I've apologized. You've forgiven. We've processed resentments and we're moving forward. And it allows us to not, it allows me not to live in shame. And it allows you, you know, occasionally stuff comes up from the past and we talk about it, but you don't sit around being mad at me all day because you recognize that I know better now and I'm doing my best to do better. And you know better now. Mm-hmm. You know that a lot of your intuition was correct. And that the gaslighting that I poured over you was incorrect. And you have solidified your belief in that now. And so you know it and you're doing better. Fair enough? Fair enough. One that gets quoted back to us a lot is you know, something that we say often. Sobriety fixes nothing. But it is a prerequisite. We we hear that, you know, I guess we've said it enough on the podcast and we've written it enough that um, we hear that back from people quite a bit. And, and I like that one. Well. What? So that's one that kind of we created and now you're so emboldened and so. arrogant a little bit that you're going to call that a mantra or a quotable quote. Well, I don't know. Next to Maya Angelou. Our, our, or the Bible, <laughs> or Ricky Bible? Bobby. <laughs> yeah, we're not nearly as like, popular wow, as Ricky we Bobby. We are really ranking ourselves up there. Oh God, I didn't want to feel bad about myself. Thank Sorry, you. no. But, but I think it is. I mean, I think it's just a it's a foundation that I don't think anybody's really put out there. Sobriety isn't going to fix it. 
Yeah. You got a lot of work to do. So we're just truth tellers. Well, that's because nobody talks about relationships. Exactly. Lots so of we people are just, talk about alcoholics. Yeah. But nobody... A lot of people. Yeah. There's very few of us out there. And I think we were just given the, you know, speaking the truth. That's right. Well, I think we should put it on a t-shirt and start selling it because um, it's got a huge, huge following. We've heard that back. By at least 20 people? At least a dozen times. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well. Uh, Yeah, the, the power of the mantra, whether you're an alcoholic or an alcoholic in training, it can really, really carry you along down a bad path. I think this is where you were going earlier when you said... There's a lot of things that you've you said earlier. You said that to me that I've like heard when you I was say. younger. I thought you, but I would just want to go back to what we get quoted back a lot. I thought for sure you would put in there, "You do you." We hear that from our older teens. "You do you." That was a little saying a couple of years ago that all of them did. But I kind of feel like it's fitting. It's not stay in your lane. But in early sobriety, they need to do them, the alcoholics, and you need to work on you. So you do you, but you can still meet up a little bit. You're not suggesting we coined the phrase, you do you, though. No, I said we got to repeat it back by our kids, because oh. social media, I mean. Yeah. Remember, they always be like, you do you. Yeah, they the say The older teens. Yeah. Yeah, they don't say it as much anymore. They also say, ugh, do I have to talk to the therapist yeah. when we want to talk but to them? But I do them? find myself well, using therapists. the you do you mm-hmm. a lot at the preschool <laughs> for the older kids that are always tattletailing on the classmate oh yeah you do you you just well, eat your maybe, lunch maybe, don't worry about what they're doing maybe you can drop some stay in your own lane on them yeah. next week maybe since I, I know how much well. you love that one <laughs> but yeah no I want to talk about the power of the mantras to just progress us right along down our little alcoholic path <laughs> okay, the, probably the biggest one in my life was work hard play hard mm. oh yeah was Everyone, that like a beer commercial slogan too? I don't know where it started. I know like everyone says it. You didn't it. look it up? No, that one's so like widely used. I didn't even think to look it up. But that's everywhere. I mean, I remember the company that I worked for right out of college. That was the company motto practically. The unofficial comp- company motto, work hard, play hard. And for someone like me, and there's a lot of us out there that are really career driven and that need to see success either in the form of you know income or promotions or accolades for those of us that need that kind of bucket filling um from our to come from our career work hard play hard is a great motivator because you know it'll it basically says yeah we need you know eight hour day what's that you know we need you to work that 10 12 hour day uh we need you to entertain customers in the evening, we need you to travel on Sundays. We need you to do all these things, but it's okay because you also get to play hard, and that makes everything fine. And what is play hard really? What's that code for? You get to drink. And so, if you're like me, yeah, a little, little sprouting alcoholic in training, <laughs> you know, working with all the older guys uh, in my company uh. that that new customer relationships and. And, you know, sales and all the stuff, all the marketing stuff that that knew it backwards and forwards. When they would say, work hard, play hard, that would be like, yep, that's all I wanted to, that's all I needed to hear. Set me off and running. Does that give you any kind of, is that a cringe-worthy 
saying for you? Does it give you any kind of post-traumatic stuff? Um, not po- It always annoyed <coughs> me. Work hard, play hard. And it just annoyed me. Not Got as a bad lot to as say about that one. <laughs> Very surprising I just, me. I thought you'd have more. No. Just, yeah, it was annoying. Yeah. Do you remember all the guys in my company saying that? Yeah. Or just me? I remember a lot of the guys that would say that. And it was always inevitably whatever outside sales rep was in town that we were taking out to the bars and hanging out with. Yeah. And we knew they had like an early flight and they always say that at least one visit. Yeah, nobody cared about the early flight. And I'm like, I am because I can't sleep when Matt's up. And also I think I was more annoyed with it because I liked sleep more than you did. And drinking took a lot out of me and gave me a hangover. So I knew I needed to get home and get to bed. That's so funny. You say you liked sleep more than I did because the next one, I'm going to see if you can guess it. I'm going to, it's a movie quote. Uh, it's a quote from Curly on City Slickers. Ah. Do you remember this one? Yes. Got a cigarette dangling out, dangling out of his mouth. I'll get He's all the sleep horse. when I'm dead. I'll get all the sleep, sleep I need, I when, need I'm when I'm dead. Yeah. You are 100% correct. I thought about that one a lot. Yes, you Especially did. Especially on those late company nights with, with the, uh, you know, with customers or with the other sales reps. I mean, you even quoted that like when we were talking to a friend of yours that was one of your best friends from college and his wife. We were talking about going on a joint vacation with them. They wanted to go to an all-inclusive type resort and relax. And you were like, uh, no, vacation is for like staying up late, drinking, doing things, getting up early and doing things. No relaxing, no sleeping. Go, 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 go. Yeah. That's fascinating to me as much as I now value sleep. And appreciate that it's a part of good health. Um, it's part. It's a huge, huge part of stress management. But back then, stress management was alcohol. That yeah. was the only stress management. Oh, oh, and that you could fall asleep at like a concert and a bar that's loud. So yeah, you you took little naps. You know, your little cat pass out naps. I was gonna say. So I, maybe... hope, I hope you're gonna use the real word. Yes. That wasn't falling asleep. That you was were passing passing out. out. Yeah. Yeah, you'll get. I'll get all the sleep I need when I'm dead. Thought that a lot, and that was just motivation. If I was, if I was starting to get tired, or if a logical person, if a person of sound mind and body would call it quits, I would just remind myself of those two things: work hard, play hard, and I'll get all the sleep I need when I'm dead. And like I said, I don't want to beat a dead horse, but I can't tell you, Sherry how ingrained those sayings were in my very core belief system. It, it was, you talked about God earlier. It was as though God, you know, coined those phrases. It was like they were the 11th and 12th commandment. I'm kind of swinging my arm. It's like you're so excited. I'm afraid you're going to have like a staff all of a sudden that appears. Like Moses. But I mean, I would make major life decisions based on those two stupid fucking mantras. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, how? stay up late, party some more, all the bars are closed, surely to God, people have... I mean, I think that's why when we would go to our, like, conventions, the one time we got to get away from the kids and do something, we always were so thankful when somebody rented a car or, and that we could glom on a ride with and we would have them stop at liquor stores to get alcohol because, heaven forbid, they stop serving and the bars close down at the 
place we were staying or the town we were in. Yeah. We had to have the party had to keep going and going and going. And I think this is important because I think it's helpful. I don't know. You tell me to know that your husband's not just a drunk asshole, but there's actually a goal there. Now, it's a crazy goal, stupid goal, but I would think things like this will help my career. It'll help me. I'll get that next promotion if I can prove to my coworkers and my bosses that I'm good at work hard, play hard. That actually would go through my mind. And I know for a fact that I'm not alone. Yeah. Like, you know, having that... Well, and I see it. Like, you had some co-workers that, in your first job, that didn't go out that much. And you always went and you hung out with the boss or the next... The people mm-hmm. that were the next step or the two to three next steps up. Mm-hmm. And you would hang with those guys. Um, so maybe there is some sort of, like brotherly band of drinking and camaraderie and you're oh, like 100%. oh but then he's still up and ready to go in the morning and work or he was not late and you know so at my bench at my bench in the morning I don't know where that saying came from but I heard that a lot yeah so I mean maybe there is something to be said for that like because especially in the industry you were in you were but, in the steel industry like there's a lot everybody of everybody says that every every industry says especially in the industry I'm in well I'm just saying like and so maybe for them, they're like, yeah, because they have to take out clients that like to drink scotch and go to cigar bars and can stay out late because we're schmoozing yeah. them, you know? So it's like that type of personality really does get you a little bit more promoted. If you aren't a drinker and you want to go home and you've got a client in from out of town and you're supposed to be whining and dining them and they go back to the hotel at nine thirty, ten o'clock, they might be a little bored you, you with know, you. Yeah, you know what, though? I honestly, looking back, I think that that was more in my head and in the heads of the other people that I worked with and the heads of literally millions of people in other industries than it would have been fact. I think I got promoted and I got raises because I was less of a pain in the ass to my boss than other people were. I I dotted the I's and crossed the T's and I kept customers off of his back and, you know, things went relatively well. I'm not trying to turn this into a brag fest, but at the end of the day, I don't think I don't think work hard, play hard gets us the promotion and the accolades that we think it does. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I think the the doing the actual job is where it's at for for the vast majority of people in the vast majority of industries. And this work hard, play hard thing is just just an excuse to drink. But at the time when you're doing it, you really, really believe it. And so I want, the reason I've kind of stayed on this topic for a, for a little bit is because I think it's important if you are the spouse of an alcoholic to understand it's not an excuse, it's not okay, it's not logical, I, I think largely it's not right, but there is a thought process behind it. It's not just the ravings of a lunatic. It's It's not just purely an excuse to drink when you should be home with your family. There are a lot of people who lean on this as fact when really it's, I I don't think it's nearly the fact that we think it is. Does that make sense? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Enough about that. Um, Oh, here's a big one. This one wasn't a big one for me, not like those first two, but this is probably the preeminent mantra in the world of alcoholics. It's five o'clock somewhere. Mm. Mm-hmm. In, in my family, the way I grew up, you know, you like it was kosher to start drinking at noon. So we didn't have to, we didn't say it's five o'clock somewhere very often because 
as long it was as it was in the PM, and then even toward the end of my drinking, not just me but others in my family, like eleven o'clock somehow seemed to be about right. Mm, and my like grandfather, that. my papu, like when he finished his second cup of coffee in the morning, he switched to beer. So kind of nine a.m. for him. Ice. What a weird thing. Yeah, but it's five o'clock somewhere. Certainly there are. Probably a hundred country songs in, that have in that your in it. family. Five o'clock just represented the mixed drink cocktail. Cocktail hour. It was cocktail hours. Cherry. Cocktails. You know, five o'clock. It's cocktails. We've been drinking beer all day. Been Time to put beer that away. Or wine coolers, or now seltzers, and you're like, oh, great. Now let's bring out mixed drinks, cocktails, yeah. hard stuff. I also had a T-shirt with a mantra on it. Less popular, less well known. But I had a t-shirt that I wore with pride that said, you've got two hands, you can hold two drinks, or you can hold two beers. Do you remember that mm-hmm. t-shirt? Yeah. I wore it around St. Patrick's Day. I remember it was yeah, green. Yeah, because it was green. I think yeah. I bought it around St. Patrick's Day. I think my mom bought it. Maybe our friend bought it for you. Hmm. Lots of people knew I was an alcoholic before yeah. I admitted to being an alcoholic. <laughs> well, but, you know, think about all the wine little funny sayings oh, yeah. there ever, you know, so... Yeah. Yeah. You've got two hands, you can hold two drinks. Okay, now we're going to switch gears a little bit. Perhaps the most dangerous of all the mantras. This one could be controversial to say, but till death do us part and in sickness and in health. So you're saying wedding vows? The wedding vows. Yeah. I have a huge problem with wedding vows. I mean, those were our wedding vows, right? I mean, we changed some of our wording a little bit, but I didn't... We changed some of our wording, but I didn't think of vows as... In a religious ceremony as... As a mantra, but... Well... I forgot about those. I feel like we hear about this a lot. Gets thrown in your face a lot as the loved one. Gets thrown in your face a lot. Of an alcoholic. A drowning person will try to drag you down with them. And a person who is sick with alcoholism will throw those two up in your face um, when and before even they're trying to get healthy. You know, you are trying to detach. You are talking about how you can't do this anymore. You're talking about how this is not what you signed up for. And you're going to hear back, well, don't you remember what we promised each other? Till death do us part? Or in sickness and in health. And you know, if I am an alcoholic who has admitted that I have a problem, I have a disease, and I'm trying to cure it, boy, isn't that handy to say in sickness and in health, that's what you promised, and I'm sick now. doesn't matter what I'm doing. It doesn't matter that I'm relapsing once a week. It doesn't matter that I'm causing all kinds of trauma for our kids. It doesn't matter that I'm, you know, um, I'm causing strife at work and probably going to end up losing my job. And that our marriage is just one big continuous argument. And I'm also lying and hiding. Doesn't matter any of that. You've got to sit still and take it on the chin because in sickness and in health, you promised. Mm -hmm. And because those are part of a religious service, because I think the vast majority of people, certainly the vast majority of the people that we work with, take marriage very, very seriously. Even the ones that have gotten divorced take marriage very, very seriously, the idea that those vows would be used as gaslighting tools Mm 
is really, really hard to deal with. Because if I were just to say to you, Sherry, you know, suck it up, Sherry. Um, yeah, I drink too much, but I'm trying my best. And, you know, you've got to be a loving person and you've got to do your best and stick it out. None of that means anything to you. None of that is grounded in anything. But as soon as I say, Sherry, you promised in sickness and in health, boom, now the church is involved. Now this commitment, you know, the biggest commitment you've ever made in your life is involved. And it's very effective gaslighting, I guess is what mm -hmm. I'm saying. Yeah. What do you think about it? Oh, lots, but I don't want to turn this into a religious debate. But I mean, there's, you know, since we've mentioned the Bible, there's like, you know, lots of scripture about love others, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Right. But right there as yourself. So when you're making these decisions to possibly leave your spouse, you are giving self-love. You know, you're not being loveless. You're not, you're not being selfish. You're trying to save yourself. So maybe one day when they come around and they make a decision, there can still be love. Yeah. So putting yourself first and loving yourself. And then the whole death to us part, like we have talked about this on podcasts and in our calls uh, and I had never thought of this concept until you brought it home about grieving the relationship um, that you wish you that had. you wish you had. So, in a way, like the alcoholism, the addiction has made you lose that person. So there was a death of that person, a death of the relationship. Like I said, it. it I mean, I'm just kind of formulating that in my mind a little bit. So it is. So it is sort of like there is an end to that life. And I think that it doesn't necessarily mean till death do us part, you know, like yeah. literally. Yeah. Because sometimes there has to be greater love for yourself and there has to be the grieving and recognition that that relationship is gone. That person is gone and that person may never come back or that person might be totally different and you don't really like them because of the way that alcohol has changed and warped and damaged them. Or that might be somebody you can actually get along with, but there is a grieving process in that first part that happens. So that is a death of a relationship. Yeah. And it takes two people to do it. One is just speaking the truth about separation and the other one is drinking them the problems away. You're right. You're right. Your analysis is accurate. And I like everything you said. I just hate the fact that that those things can are are still every single day thrown up in people's faces, yeah. and they're you know basically dragged over the coals. Because I mean, you, they made these promises. Yeah, and I mean, when you like saving yourself, you know, and, and moving from the relationship doesn't necessarily like I don't mean divorce, but saving yourself and loving yourself. Mm -hmm can help maybe inspire the change for the addict. Yeah. So it's not it's not a selfish act in the end because there's been a lot of selfless giving and um yeah, know, that they have done to get to that point. That's the counterintuitive thing that we talk about all the time. You have to be strong and independent on your own in order to be attractive to the other person. And to hold up your end of the bargain um, for the partnership. So yeah. it 
it might be thrown up in your face that you're being selfish if you're detaching. But the fact is, you're just trying to get strong um, so that you can be the partner that you've promised to be. Yeah. You're absolutely right. I mean, because there is an agreement, you know, like, about that. You know, there's a lot of controversy about divorce, and some people take it literally, but what my understanding from this book city I did this um, was it was mostly talking about men and men should behave accordingly and they should be acting right and doing the things that God has asked them to do to be a good loving partner to their wife so then there isn't that so it kind of does it so it falls back on the shoulders of the husband in the relationship to to do the right thing and I know in a As lot of us to the the misanalysis of the Bible where the wife's just supposed to be obedient and do correct. everything. Correct. Correct. So There's is... no reason she should be disobedient if the if the husband is doing all that he should be doing according to Scripture. Hmm. And according to the... Uh, I think this is mostly in Jewish laws. Um, from It was a Jewish Bible. Do you remember um, the book? Do you want to... Uh... I don't remember the book. Oh. It was one of the first ones that I went to well, a Bible not the study. First time you and I have talked about a book or a movie or a podcast, yes. and we can't. Well, I'm just going to preface this by saying it was one. Of, <laughs> I got in halfway through in the the Bible study group through our church as a way that I could find some solace. Yeah. When I was alone during your heaviest drinking times, and I knew the AA, or I couldn't reach out. So I don't remember it, but I just remember thinking. That it really struck me because there that whole bullshit about, you know, obedience. Well, there shouldn't have to be obedience if the partners are doing the right thing, especially I, the man. I couldn't agree more. I, I feel so much in the driver's seat. I don't want this to be a control thing. But as far as how our relationship goes, I feel very much... That if I do the things that I have come to know are the right things to do, then things will most of the time work out pretty darn well. I got a saying. If mama ain't happy, nobody's happy. If mama ain't happy, so, nobody's But you're right. I mean, it's not because you're pussy whipped. No. Or it's not because I'm controlling and I'm contrary and nope. I just need to have things my way. Nope. Nope. Nothing unreasonable at all. Just... Being in partnership. If, if I didn't like the things you liked, I shouldn't have married you. And so if there are some things that I overlooked when we got married, well, I need to manage that and deal with that as opposed to just making that your problem. And that's been really, I mean, this is a whole other podcast episode, so we shouldn't go too far down this uh, rabbit hole. But that has been one of the blessings of my life is recognizing there's some stuff that's important to you that I don't give a fuck about, and I'm going to make it important to me, and things will be better. Yeah, so. and this is all, like, I think this is very, you know, like, equal. Yeah. That we should both be But I think as a, a nurturer, partner. you naturally do that. I think it's, for for me, I, I don't want to overgeneralize into genders, although you probably could if you wanted to. I think, for me, that's something I have to consciously do. Mm-hmm. You... Naturally, we talked just recently about something I'm struggling with work related and how you continue to ask me questions and want to know how it's going and you don't get frustrated when I talk about it a lot. You're just naturally a, you know, better human in that regard than I am. For me, it takes effort. But anyway, I I think 
What you said is... It, it doesn't take effort when we're getting along. It doesn't take effort now. In the past, it took effort because there was alcohol. Yeah. And there was clouding and misjudgment. And I like you better. Yeah. Now. Well, it still takes me effort, but it's effort worth... It's worthwhile effort. It's good effort. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy with the results. So we talked about a book that we can't attribute to the author because we can't remember who it is. Here's a saying that I'm like 98% sure is misattributed out in the big bad world. Uh, we haven't talked about my buddy Robin Williams for quite a while. I wondered. He's like my favorite all-time comedian and, and kind of life case study also. Um, but he is, there are plaques you could go on the internet right now and you could buy a hundred different varieties of this plaque. A, a picture of Robin Williams with the saying, Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. And he's, he said that. There's no doubt that he said that, but I don't think he was the first one to say that. Correct. There. Enough of that. It's a great saying. Be kind, for everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Let's turn that into a wedding vow. How much better of a wedding vow is that I think than that should in sickness be, and in health? I think that should be a wedding vow that the whole congregation that's there yeah. participates in. Yeah. It should just be a life mantra. We should all say it when we first wake up in the morning. Yeah. And I it's think Ellen DeGeneres just shortened it up to be kind at the end of her um, show. That was like one of her little closing things. Oh, yeah. Things. That's yeah. right. But I think... Yes, kind of being a mentor, um, if you're there at the wedding, those sort of things, like, that should be something. Yeah. Or, yeah, I like that. Yeah. So that should be a wedding vow. Another, like, let's just cut to the chase. Another wedding vow should be, don't be an asshole to your spouse. Don't be so, a douchebag. I think you should just say that. So no more till death do us part or in sickness and in health. We'll, we'll change it to be kind to... For everyone is fighting a battle you know nothing about, and don't be an asshole to your spouse. Amen. Kiss the bride. Or kiss your spouse. I guess kiss the bride is passe now. Yeah. But I think, I don't I know, we, think, I gotta talk to our Sorry, kids. I still think douchebag, because then it can make for fun, fun questions from your, like, seven-year-old. Yeah. Because the they know what an asshole is. They're like, what's a douchebag? And then you have to explain what a douche is. That could be a whole fun thing. Yeah, the flower girl. Boy, <laughs> she's going to get an earful, a ring bearer. We have to do a little preemptive education. Yeah. I like or it. You could I'm just with you. Say, I don't know. That's my favorite. Just, I don't know? I don't know. Go ask your mom. No. You're not my kid. Go ask your mom. Just put it on your list so when I give you internet access, then you can Google it later on I'm not when gonna, you're older. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what a douchebag is, but I've seen your dad drunk and he is one. <laughs> Uh, that would go well. So, to kind of wrap this up, al alcohol changes both people. Um, and mantra or not, uh, relationship requires, re recovery requires two independent, healthy people. We've been talking about that a lot lately. But I think it's so important and so true. So, it works if you work it. Till death do us part. None, none of that ultimately really matters. In order for the relationship, for the marriage to get stronger, the two people have to get stronger individually on their own um, before the marriage can get stronger. And we've seen so many cases where there's one person that's really working on their health 
and one person that's emotionally sick. And the emotionally sick person will drag down the healthy person or the healthy person detaches and is never able to reattach because you can't stay healthy and reattach to a sick person. Yeah. And, and it's taken maybe too long and so you've grown apart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the work that you and I have done on our own emotional, physical, spiritual health, that's all, that's all been, um, work really well worthwhile. We didn't do it immediately upon my sobriety. We didn't, we didn't do it right, but we did it eventually and we figured it out and we made it work. And so, hey, maybe that mantra, lead by example, fits here. Maybe there's healthy detachment in there. Um, if one side of the relationship starts to get healthy first and can lead by example, um, maybe the other side will figure it out as well. Mm-hmm. Sherry, there's one more mantra. We can't, we can't leave this conversation without talking about. And it's our family bathroom mantra. We, our kids like to talk as much as I do. And we have to draw the line on on the talking because the talking is incessant sometimes. Sometimes at the dinner table, there are six people talking and zero people listening. <laughs> That's, maybe there's five people talking and one person listening. You're trying to absorb trying all Trying to absorb all. Yeah. Well, if there is a listener, it's probably you. You're right. But sometimes somebody gets I'll... up from the dinner table and goes into the bathroom. And just because they're in the bathroom, which in our house... There's a, like a hallway, but it's it's like at the beginning of the hallway, and it's so it's kind of right off the dining room. The like bathroom you can shut is. two doors, and then there you are in the bathroom, sitting on the throne, and then on the other side of the two doors is the dining room table. You could shut two doors, but typically we don't. We just shut, shut the, the bathroom, bathroom door. door until the person that's on the throne starts talking, and so that's where you came up with the family motto: "No talking with your pants down," <laughs> and that has. Has served us well over the years. That second door that you mentioned at the beginning of the hallway has been slammed shut <laughs> quite often over the years when we're trying to enjoy dinner and someone's sitting on the toilet trying to carry on the conversation. Yes. So. Let's just say it was instituted when our children were still young and there would be potty training going on or, you know, I don't know what it is with little kids. It's like they take two bites, their digestive system starts to work, they're so small. It's like ready to evacuate. So evacuate, we often nice. let them have the door open a little bit. So if they had problems, so cracked, but yes, that second door has been shut. Also, the great thing about our house is you cannot hear when the bathroom door is shut. We can hear you guys, but you really can't hear in there. So yeah. it's just incessant talking with some of our, yeah. our throne sitters. So if you got nothing else out of this podcast, strongly recommend that you institute the no talking with your pants down rule in your family that'll that'll cause that'll fix all the problems fix i can't believe i said that the third c is fix yeah it didn't cause you can't control it. you can't fix, fix it because of the three c's the can'ts that's not yeah doesn't <laughs> fix start with a c before you go we hope you'll consider these three resources If you love or loved an alcoholic, we offer support and connection in our Echoes of Recovery group. Check us out at echoesofrecovery.org. If you are a high-functioning alcoholic seeking methods and connection in early sobriety, we're ready for you at shoutsobriety.org. No matter who you are, there's something for you in our book, Sober Evolution, Evolve into Sobriety and Recover Your Alcoholic Marriage. 
go to SoberEvolution.org. For my wife, Sherry Salis, I'm Matt Salis. Thanks for listening to the Untoxicated Podcast.